Hey everybody, it's Pastor James and welcome back to our midweek Bible study. It's great to be back with you. Today we're only going to cover the first half of chapter 12. And as we talk about Paul's weakness, uh, the thorn in his flesh and his vision, uh, this is probably one of the most perplexing chapters in all of scripture and it definitely deserves our utmost attention. So even though it's not that many verses, we're going to spend a little bit of time on talking about this and trying to really understand what Paul's trying to communicate. And um, really, people get lost in this chapter focusing on one particular thing that we'll talk about in a second. But really, um, the proper details is really what deserves our attention. So that's what we're going to focus on. So read with me today, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, and then we'll talk about it together. It says, This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body, but I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I want to boast, I will be a fool. I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such powerful revelations from God, so to keep me from being proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the, res- and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. All right. So we see from the very beginning that Paul is obviously um, continuing on from chapter 11. I mean, this runs right with what he was talking about last week as we were um, discussing this together. And Paul continues to talk about this foolish boasting and how it is useless. But yet he's going to continue on because, again, he's proving this point. He's using a little bit of sarcasm. And he's fighting fire with fire with these apostles who have been boasting about themselves. But he opens up the door to talk about these uh, visions and revelations that are quite unique. And Paul has this vision that's very unique that we um, that I think we need to pay special attention to. Now, if you remember back when I did the introduction to the book of 2 Corinthians, we talked about how Paul is going to reveal some things that he experienced that are unique only to this book. So we don't have any other accounts or records in Scripture or outside of Scripture that reveal this vision of heaven that Paul is talking about or this thorn in his flesh that he's talking about. This is the only time we see this. So Paul is revealing this for the first time and probably the only time. And, and here we see Paul talking about this, this wonderful experience of these, this vision of heaven that no one else knows of. And while we don't see this particular vision happening multiple times, it is important to understand that 
visions were very common among the apostles, the disciples, um, and, and a lot of people who were closest to Jesus. You also see people like Stephen, Ananias, Zechariah. Uh, all these people in the New Testament had visions and wonderful visions. But the fact that Paul has this vision of heaven... Um, this wouldn't be far-fetched because a lot of these people were having visions. And Paul actually has a significant number of visions as you begin to read in his epistles. And so Paul has multiple visions, but this is the only time we see this particular vision mentioned by Paul anywhere. And anytime God wanted to do something great or he wanted to use someone in significant ways, there was generally a vision that was received from God by these people, and Paul is no exception. So Paul is talking about this vision, which affirms him as being directly called by God, that God is privying him to information that uh, other people don't have, which is unique, and that's important to understand, that there are people who are privied to information by God that other people aren't. And you see that all throughout Scripture, from Abraham, Isaac, to Jacob, to uh, Joseph, to Moses, to Joshua, to uh, the the, pro the judges, the prophets, up to Jesus and the apostles, there have always been people who are privied to information from God that others do not have. <clears throat> now, this experience that Paul has, this vision of heaven, is so amazing that Paul really isn't even sure how it's happened. I mean, he doesn't even know whether or not it was an in-body or out-of-body experience, and he talks about that. But it was something that happened 14 years ago, and it was something that, while it was wonderful, um, it also perplexed him. He was really quite unsure how it happened and maybe even some of the meaning behind it. I mean, it was too wonderful to even express with words. So... We can pretty much assume that the vision was probably more for Paul than really anyone else. Um, and and Paul discusses how these things were, were just so amazing that he can't even form words to describe what he saw or even what he heard. And I think that's pretty unique and interesting uh, to understand that the things of heaven, the things of eternity, the things of God are far beyond our understanding as humans in this physical world. And, and it's not necessarily the fact that um, Paul is not allowed to say these things. It's just the simple fact of it's not even possible for him to communicate what he saw or experienced. And that's a pretty interesting concept to grasp. Now, uh, <clears throat> when you look at Paul, he, he just didn't have the words to say or to describe it, but he saw it with his own eyes and he understood that this was reality and he understood this was from God. And God had revealed something very special and sacred to Paul and that was happening regularly in Paul's life. So he just speaks of this one instance. Now in verse 5, we see where Paul changes gears as he's writing this letter and while he he has every reason to boast about this vision because this would be a wonderful experience. I feel like if I had a vision of heaven, I feel like I, I wouldn't stop talking about it for a while. I feel like I would be talking about that nonstop, um, trying to explain that to people, trying to communicate to family members and loved ones how amazing that was. But uh, 
um, Paul in this moment refuses to boast about it. He mentions it, but then he stops. And it's perplexing to think what he got to see. You know, it's kind of a little bit of a cliffhanger that Paul gives. I had this vision of heaven. It was too wonderful to even mention. And I think everyone on earth who is halfway competent in any way understands that this is not the end that there's something beyond this life and if you have any curiosity about what lies uh, beyond this life you would want to know what paul saw and so it's a very perplexing cliffhanger that paul leaves them with but um it's privileged information that was meant for him and the people of corinth will never know and we will never know what that is because paul is not elevating himself or tooting his own horn but rather he is more interested in lifting up the name of jesus so what does paul do well he begins to talk about his weakness instead of this amazing vision that he had and paul knows that he has he has every right to boast or, or speak of this vision or this thing that he's experienced but he only wants to talk about jesus and give jesus honor and glory so as a result of him receiving such a wonderful calling from the Lord and seeing such amazing revelations as the one that he mentioned, Paul has also been given a burden or a cross to bear, as some people would like to say. Now, he said that he was given a thorn in his flesh, and this is kind of labeled as a messenger from Satan to torment him and to keep him humble. And this is probably one of the most talked about and debated passages in the Bible as scholars have wondered for almost 2,000 years as to what this thorn could be. I mean, when you think about Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, traveled over 10,000 miles on foot, basically, in the ancient world, planted churches on three different continents. I mean, Paul was an amazing person, and so people have always wondered, what is this thorn? Well, in all honesty, <clears throat> um, wondering what the thorn in Paul's flesh is, is pretty futile and useless. If Even if you were to find out what Paul's thorn in his flesh was, what good would that do? I, I mean, like, what? how would that benefit you as an individual, or me as an individual in any way? But rather, um, rather than fulfilling this, this nosy, gossiping you know type of a desire that we have as people to figure out what this thing is um really it's just focusing on having a better understanding of what paul was trying to communicate um and what will better serve followers of christ with more sufficiency and the truth is, knowing what the thorn in his flesh is, it does us no good. But knowing what Paul is trying to communicate in this passage does us all a world of good and benefits us all significantly, both in this life and in the one to come. So, so let's just talk about the meaning behind this thorn and what Paul is trying to communicate. So when you think of a thorn... I don't know about you guys, but I always think of something that's, uh, you know, stepping on a briar. And then, you know, it, it, this this thorn on this briar breaks off inside your hand or your foot or your leg. And now you're stuck with this piece of, of foreign matter that's very sharp and it's in your body. 
And those things can be very irritating and painful. And, and they're quite unique because sometimes you can have be stuck with a thorn and it break off and be inside of you. And you not even necessarily realize it until you bump it up against something and then you feel the foreign object inside your body that's now irritated due to it being rubbed or touched in a specific way. But when you look at the Greek, the word for thorn that was used um, was skolops, which meant something irritating or frustrating. So um, the most common use of, of that word meant irritating or frustrating. Now, some have said that the root word that Paul used was more like a spike or sharp stake. So it may not have been as much of a thorn as it would be this, this large piercing object that would be not only irritating or painful, but it would be kind of devastating. It would be one of those things that would just constantly nag and be excruciating to bear almost like one of the nails in Christ's hands or feet or something like that so um, we're, we're a little perplexed as to whether or not this is something that's just small and irritating or whether it's something that could be um, present and and constantly a burden that is that is really causing us a lot of pain and really affecting our life or Paul's life in this situation. So it could have been much more damaging and difficult to deal with than just a small briar stuck in a finger, if you understand what I'm saying. But it was given to him. And uh, it's important to understand that like Job, whom God allowed Satan to have a certain leeway with him, in this situation, we can only assume that God has given Satan leeway in Paul's life to oppress him in some way with some kind of affliction, with some kind of pain, with some kind of uh, turmoil that he's dealing with on a consistent basis. So you, you need to understand that Satan probably considered it pure joy to torture Paul with this thorn, okay? God... Um, but while Satan is enjoying this, God is using Satan's affliction on him to keep Paul humble in spite of his many wonderful and amazing uh, experiences in his life and in his ministry. Um, that's really important because it's almost like God steps in and he allows Satan to take something that's, that's very painful and frustrating to Paul which could be used as a temptation, but at the same time, God is using what Satan is using to bring about good in Paul's life. So he, he's, he's actually making him more holy. He's making him more set apart. He's making him more godly by allowing Satan to oppress him with this thorn in his flesh uh, because it's keeping him humble and it's keeping him very reliant on God. And it's important to see while Paul is a very godly and holy man that he's still tempted by pride and God saw fit for him to be somewhat haltered or muzzled or, or uh, restrained, if you will, in some way as to not let him get carried away by his own abilities. And we've talked about this a lot because Paul would have obviously been an amazing, capable person. 
He was very well educated. He was a dual citizen. He probably spoke multiple languages. He was very capable of many things. And so um, it would have been very easy for him to get carried away with his own abilities and his success as being an apostle. But God wanted to remind Paul that he was the one in control, that he was the one who was allowing Paul to do these things. And God uses all this to bring glory and honor to himself. <clears throat> and so I think it's noteworthy to understand the, the ease that it is that it is for people to become conceited and prideful in a lot of ways. And so <clears throat> I'll just give you an example. I have a, a an amazing friend named Robert who uh, planted a church in Virginia several years back. And while he was planting his church, he actually he had some really good success. I mean, they started with nothing. They planted a church in this area, and I think it grew to over 200-something people. But it was a process. You know, it, it took... He was there about five years, got the church up and started, and there were times where they grew quickly and other times where it was kind of like a slow grow. But we were talking on the phone one day because uh, I was asking him how things were. He was asking me how things were here at the church, and, and we were just kind of talking, and, and we were just we were sharing how we were thankful that things were going well where we were as churches because we were experiencing growth, God's working and moving, um, people are being saved, people are being baptized, you know, all the good things that you look for in a church um, are happening in our churches, but it's happening slowly. And sometimes that can be frustrating because, you know, we want revival. We want thousands and hundreds of people to come and, and to have this amazing thing. And we would love for our churches to be uh, successful, and we would love for people to look at us and say, man, they're doing a great job. And we were talking about how thankful we were that our churches did not just have this just rush of hundreds or even thousands of people just start coming because we probably wouldn't even know what to do with them if we got them. Um, we, we want our churches to grow, but we realize and understand that our abilities and our, our mindsets, our, our talents are limited. And so if those people were to come, we would definitely need God to do something significant in our own personal lives to make that happen. And when you look at so many other people who experience that success so quickly, a lot of people get carried away with pride and greed and selfish ambition. <clears throat> and so then... They're, they're just pursuing the next big waves, the next big thing, rather than just pursuing what God wants them to. And so we're just kind of thankful for that. And Paul is a wonderful tool that God uses to bring glory and honor to his name and build his kingdom. And God is using this thorn in Paul's flesh as a way to continue to sharpen Paul in a godly and holy manner. So it's not like he's trying to wear Paul down and ruin him, but rather he's 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 shaving away the excess useless stuff in this so that Paul can remain sharp and useful in allowing God to use him in an amazing way. And God will receive all the glory and honor. And so that's the main goal, and that's what Paul's trying to communicate in this. And um, 
Paul talks about begging God to take this away. You know, it's like when you're suffering and you're experiencing this, no one wants to suffer. No one wants to endure this. And I most certainly would not want to endure suffering and a thorn in the flesh, if you will. And so Paul asked for it to be taken away. But in verse 9, you see one of the most popular verses that, that Christians love to quote uh, where he says, each time God said, my grace is all you need. Or in most translations, um, maybe a more familiar one would be, my grace is sufficient. Uh, my power works best in your weakness. Or my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so it's important to remind ourselves that God receives the most glory when we are weak. And we receive the most glory when we are strong. And so you have to ask yourself today, as a believer in Jesus Christ, do you want to be weak or do you want to be strong? Well, obviously no one wants to be weak, but in reality as believers in Jesus Christ, what are we trying to accomplish? Do we want Jesus to to receive the glory or do we want to receive the glory? Because if we want Jesus to receive the glory then we need to be weak. We must be weak. We must be put in situations and circumstances where we are unable to do them under our own strength, but yet God is able to do them and provide. And we got to be content with that. And Paul was very content with being weak, and he should be because that's the right thing. That's when, that's when we are closest to God. When we are weak and we're allowing him to lead and be the ones to receive all the grace and honor and glory, that's when we are the closest to God. So Paul talks about taking pleasure in his weakness because God gets the glory when his weakness is made known. And this is why Paul talks about weakness now. So when Paul's at his weakness, he is then his strongest because God is able to do more than he could ever think or imagine. And so that's not how the world would perceive things. When we're weak, we're weak. But as a believer in Jesus Christ who looks at eternal things, we must understand that when we are at our weakness, we are inevitably at our strongest because God is able to work and move and receive the glory when we are at our weakest. And when we are relying on God to do the work, he is, he is much stronger than we're ever able to be. So by being weak, then we are made strong. And that's what Paul's communicating. And there's so many examples in Scripture where God talks about this. You think about the, the story of Gideon, where God sends away 30,000 soldiers to use 300 men where God sends them to the walls of Jericho. You think about the ten plagues. You think about the Red Sea. You think about everything that God did where he wanted his people to be in a position where they absolutely needed him, and that's when God showed up in the most powerful and amazing ways. So today, if you're listening to this and you feel like, man, I just don't feel like God's working and moving in my life. I don't feel like I can see him doing really cool things like other people are testifying about. Well, ask yourself this question. How weak am I? Because if we're trying to put on this front, or if we're trying to make ourselves strong or powerful in some way,
then chances are we're uh, boxing God out of our lives from being able to work and move in powerful ways. But if we will submit and we will allow ourselves to be weak and allow God to receive the honor and glory and to work and move in our lives, it would be amazing at what we actually see Him doing. And there's so many examples of Scripture when it comes to that. <clears throat> to close out today, I have a. Uh, I want to tell you a little story about a friend of mine. Um, he's his name's Scott. He's a pastor of a sister church, and I love Scott. He's probably 20 years older than me. He's always been a good mentor, and I feel like our stories of growing up are very similar, and uh, our experiences in ministry have been very similar, and our attitude about things are very similar. But he has this funny saying that I really like. Um, and Scott always says that God looks out for orphans, widows, and idiots. And I always laugh at that because it's it's there's a lot of truth to it. Um, and he'll joke he'll joke with me uh, when I say, "Well, you know, we got lucky. God really did a good thing. He looked out for us." And and he'll look at me and say, "Well, you know, God looks out for orphans, widows, and idiots, and you're not an orphan or a widow." So that only leaves one thing left, and we laugh about that a lot. But there, as as silly as that saying is, <clears throat> there's some truth to it. Because you think about orphans who are completely left abandoned and needy, and you think about widows who have experienced what it's like to be married and be under the care of a husband and have her needs met, and now she is alone and needy and then you think about a lot of people who just don't have the knowledge or sense to make things happen and if you read this passage and you think about Paul talking about and expounding upon his weaknesses and his thorn in his flesh you know to, to understand today that that God looks out for those who are weak because where we are weak then he is made strong and God is able to shine the most in their lives because whenever the world is looking at them and they see the good things that God is bringing about in their lives, you can't deny where it comes from because they technically would not be able to provide it for themselves. God is the one who gets the credit and the honor and the glory. So I just want to ask you today as we close out, who's getting the credit and the honor and the glory in your life? Is it you or is it God? Are you trying to be weak or are you trying to be strong? And you need to be able to answer those questions because they very much tie into and affect one another and how you answer them. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this beautiful day, for everything you bless us with. God, I thank you for watching over us and protecting us and guiding us. Jesus, I ask that you would speak into our hearts and lives. Help us to humble ourselves before you, to be weak so that you can be made strong, to humble ourselves so that you can receive all the glory and the honor. And for that, we love you and we thank you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in for another week. We love you. We're praying for you. If you can't come to on campus this weekend to our services, catch us on Facebook, YouTube, or the podcast. Hope you have a great week.